Football systems check. Microphone. Check. Record enabled. Kate. Check. Michelle. Check. All systems go. I repeat, all systems go. We got a problem. We got a Copy. We have ball blast. I repeat, we have ball blast. Ayo. Ayo. That's, those are those good morning ayos. Yeah, yours was light. I don't want to break the ears of our loyal listeners. Welcome into the Ball Blast Podcast. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm Michelle. And we have so much exciting news to talk about for Ball Blast. In case any of you listeners haven't been like following our Twitter feed, uh, we, we joined up with the Red Shirts Fantasy Football crew. They are now a part of Ball Blast, which we're so excited to have them. Their pod is going to be moving over to the Ross Tucker Network. So awesome. Their content, all going to be found at ballblastfootball.com. We have a team of mega writers now. Yeah, we have a lot of writers, a lot of content being posted every day over on ballblastfootball.com. So if you have not checked out the site yet, it's new and improved and beautiful. Uh, Just finished it up last week. You did an awesome job. So everyone go check out Kate's work at ballblastfootball.com just for the beautifulness of the site, even if you don't care to go read the article. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, I no web design experience. I'm very proud of that site. Um, And if you guys do want to check out our premium content right now, you can get our uh, full rankings, uh, our full consensus rankings and individual rankings a week early if you check out our Patreon. So check those out. Uh, Anything else? I think we should get into the news. This just in. Breaking news. Breaking news. The Dallas Morning News reports that Dak Prescott and the Cowboys are not close on an extension. That is not good. I guess not, but if he's willing to play in the franchise tag in 2020, I don't know if it makes a difference for us. I mean, it makes a difference for him. He wants his money. He wants his long-term contract. Well, you do have to wonder, is he going to be participating in their their off-season activities? Like, if they have a, a virtual training camp, is he going to hold out? Is well, I, I mean, they're already going through that, and we haven't heard anything about him holding out and not doing it. We've seen him out on the field with his teammates, so I, I feel like he's going through the off-season like normal. I don't know if this has anything really to do with fantasy, besides maybe if you're in a keeper or dynasty league, you might have to be worried about those wide receiver assets a little bit if Dak leaves next year. But if Dak, you know, performs well, I don't see how they don't figure out a way to keep him. I actually think this is risky for the Cowboys not to get him an extension right now, because if Dak, with those offensive weapons that he has, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, Zeke, even if you want to throw in Blake Jarwin, like if he doesn't have a great season this year, then I guess Dallas did a good thing because they didn't pay him. But if he goes off like he should, he's going to be very expensive. We just saw Pat Mahomes get a mega contract. Yeah, now, that actually, we didn't even have that as a news item. But what if Dak wins the Super Bowl this year? Like what if the Cowboys won the Super Bowl this year? I don't think no matter what he does, he's going to get Patrick Mahomes money, but he's going to be asking a lot closer to that if he brings the team far into the playoffs, especially if he wins the Super Bowl. So with that, the the news of Patrick Mahomes, who broke literally every record ever, uh, money-wise, contract-wise, got a 10-year contract averaging $45 million per year. The good news is Zach, or 
Dak is only looking for like 35 million a year. So it makes it look like uh, we're, we're saving lots of money. But Patrick Mahomes, man, I want all Chiefs players in Dynasty, please. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And even in 2020, like you need a piece of this offense for the Chiefs. It, it, whether it be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he's a little bit pricey right now, especially for redraft to trust a rookie. But if you're not even going with Hill or Kelsey or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, maybe grab a, I know Sammy Watkins is gross, but a Sammy Watkins piece or a Mecole Hardman in case he breaks out. Like I want a piece of that late because they score so many points. There's so yeah, much to go around. Especially an asset like Mecole Hardman, I do think that there was that sort of off-season period where people were really high on Nicole Hardman. Now that they well, they we all thought Sammy Watkins was going to be yes. cut. So now that they have not, this might be your buy low opportunity because we did see him. He was explosive last year, so I think that that could definitely be. When Nicole um, Hardman had the targets, he was great. So let's say, I mean, I know they didn't end up cutting Sammy Watkins, but Andy Reid's a smart coach. If he sees that Nicole Hardman is better for that team and better for that offense to be out on the field in his second year, he's going to get the time. And if he gets the snaps, he's going to be really good in fantasy. Mm-hmm. He might be more boom bust, but he's still going to score you score you points when you plug him into your lineup. He, I think Michael Hardman's worth a shot very late in drafts. I, I absolutely agree. Um, next up, whew, our boy, uh, the Bills official website confirms the team wants to use their third round pick Zach Moss to play a similar role to Frank Gore's, which I love. Yeah, this isn't really news because as soon as they drafted Zach Moss, they said, like, we're going to use him like Frank Gore, but people were ignoring it. Now they come out and say it again after they've had some time to work with him and see how he works and how he's doing in these virtual training camp or whatever it's called, virtual meetings. I have no idea how that Virtual OTAs. I don't really know what they're doing during those. But they came out again to confirm that he will get the Frank Gore role, which is pretty much first, second down role and the goal line work. Yum. Which I'll take. Take that. All right. Raheem Moster requested a trade. I'm okay. Yeah. As soon as the news broke out, a lot of people came and asked, how's Kate doing? Thank (laughs) you so much for your thoughts. Because as many know, and if you don't, Kate is a massive Raheem Mostert fan this offseason. Pay the man! Yeah, so but he's requesting a trade from the 49ers because he's asked. Right now, he's planning to make $3 million for 2020. He wants to be making as much as Tevin Coleman and Jerick McKinnon, which is around $4.5 million. I think it's a reasonable request. Last year, the 49ers paid Mostert to pretty much be a special teamer and a third string, if that, running back. He's going to be a featured back in 2020. Pay the man. Well, now, this is what I'm wondering. It's, there's only a one and a half million difference, and I totally get why Mostert wants it. But the team not willing to be able to give that extra one and a half million, will, were they planning to use him as their lead back? Because if that was the plan going into 2020, and now you have to change that plan, no matter how good Shanahan's system is, but if that was your plan, you'd be like, okay, let's just give him a little small bump. Like, it's only one and a half million. Why wouldn't you just... They're just ready to let him go, and they're like, okay, we weren't really planning on using you that much anyways. Matt Breda. So there, there is already a, a big gap in the, the offense. 
you're looking, I, I just don't understand, because you're looking at Tevin Coleman, who, yes, you paid him more money than Raheem Moster, but he had the same number of touches as Raheem Moster and was not good. No, he was one of the worst in the league. So please, pay Raheem, he wants one and a half million dollars? How cheap could you get? They're cheap because they know anyone except for Tevin Coleman and their system does great. Now, that's what's so concerning to me about Tevin Coleman. It's like any running back that Shanahan plugs into his system, they're fantastic. But then what's so wrong with Tevin Coleman? Because there were, there were three completely different running backs last year when you watch a San Fran a 49ers game. Like, it would be like Breda breaks it off for 10 yards, and then Mostert comes off and breaks it off for 15 yards, and then Coleman comes in and gets two yards. <laughs> There's just such a difference in play I don't think that offense is as good if Tevin Coleman has to touch the ball 300 times. I, I don't either, and I, I I don't get it. I don't get it. I, okay, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get into Raheem Mostert right. here soon. Uh, let's get into our divisional breakdown. So we're going to kick it off with the NFC West. We're going to talk a league winner, bust, sleeper, and who is disrespected? Yeah, I was going to call it value, but I feel like that's not even a good enough term for these players. Like, they're just disrespected. They're not even values. They're so far past values. They're just disrespected. They're so far past the line. Yeah. The line is a dot to them. So let's get into it. NFC West, we've got the Los Angeles Rams. Arizona Cardinals, San Fran 49ers, and Seattle Seahawks. So I try not to say San Fran because I know San Fran people, San Francisco people get very upset if you call it San Fran, which is the weirdest thing to me in life. Like, why do you care? But, no, I'm still going to call them San Fran, whatever. Who's who's the... (laughs) What have you ever been one to not not stir the pot? Who is the divisional winner to you in this division? Because this is a hard one. We have four pretty de- pretty good teams. I mean, I don't know if I'm willing to put Arizona there yet. We have to see how that offense clicks. But who are you, you choosing to win at all? So, uh, can I make a stipulation? Sure. I think it could be the 49ers if Raheem Mostert doesn't walk. <laughs> okay, I don't think... I don't know I, if Mostert's going to make that difference. No, no, no. Hear me out. So, uh, if... If Raheem Mostert is not playing with the 49ers, it's the Seahawks to me. I know it doesn't seem like let's think about this division, right? So you have both both very good teams. The difference between them is probably going to be like one to two games. You don't think Raheem Mostert has that ability to impact one or two games in a season? I like I I think he absolutely could be um if could contribute if the to 49ers uh, like trade away Moster, and all they have is Coleman and McKinnick. Yes, I think that that's the difference. If they bring in someone else, like a Freeman, like I don't know who else is out there for them to sign, but De- if, Devonta Freeman wasn't good with the Falcons. I think that's a little bit different. I think he, he could be good. Wash. He does. He does look wash. But we'll see what happens there. I'm actually going with the Rams. Right? I feel like they had one. One little down year, a little part of the season. That hangover. They still finished at 9-7. and seven. Like, they're still, that's not bad. I think McVay comes back. He figures it out. He was starting to figure it out at the end of last year, like, what the issues were. The run game does scare me, but I think Akers and Henderson can do enough together yeah, to I produce. Nice one-two punch. Yeah. And I think Goff will have a better season. Higby's going to be great. So, I, I like that team and now they have Ramsey he has to be special they gave up everything for him and he still hasn't gotten that that big 
contract extension. So that's that's interesting. If he's going to enter the season playing, um, you know, under his old contract terms, it, you might you might see him, you know, need to sort of prove it in order. I, he's going to get the money regardless, but you might see him sort of in a, a prove it mode, just in terms of of you know getting that deal. Yeah, he wanted out of Jacksonville so bad so he could get paid, and now he's still not paid. And then the Rams are going to be in this hard spot where it's like, yeah, you have to give me all the money in the world because you gave up two first-round picks. Yeah. That you need me to stay here. And the interesting thing is they don't have a ton of – they don't have a ton of room to go. But yeah, they're, they're going to be – it's going to be hard for them in the future to figure this all out. But I think in 2020 they have another year to make a run for this – I think the team in general looks well put together. That offensive line will always be that question mark. We'll see if they look better this year. But I mean, they have Tyler Higby, so Seattle obviously. has been consistently great throughout this decade. So I never want to sleep on them. 49ers were great last year. I expect them to be very good again this year. And then the Cardinals are just a wild card. This is a good division. This is a very good division. Um, I'm I'm excited to see them. It, can I just say that if they were not in the same division, I think Mostert would be an unbelievable fit in Seattle. Yeah, please. Um, let's let's get into it. Okay. NFC West. Well, I'm packing up my game and I'm gonna head out west. All right, everybody wants us to get straight into the good, so let's start up with your league winner. Okay, will do, and this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but we haven't talked about him for a while on the pod. It's going to be DK Metcalf from Seattle. <sighs> so, you know, some people are a little bit worried because there's not a ton of targets to go around in that offense. We have Russell Wilson, who's fantastic, but... The coaching staff doesn't really allow him to throw the ball too often. I mean, last year they were one of the the lowest in attempts, in passing attempts in the league. But the thing is, there's just not that many people that targets have to go to. You have Tyler Lockett. He's going to get his. Greg Olson is probably the third target in that offense, and he's 35 or 36 years old and has a hard time staying healthy. And then maybe Will Disley will come back from his Achilles injury so he can replace Olson or vice versa. But then who else is there? There are no wide receivers three through six on this team. Yeah. You have, like, David Moore. Uh, you have, like, some... He's ra- going to snipe so many targets from yeah. the KMF. Yeah, exactly. You Like, they will get some targets. They can't just all go to Lockett and DK. But they're both going to be so heavily involved in this offense. I think it's okay if, there's not, if they aren't a middle-of-the-pack team in passing attempts because I think most of these targets are going to go to those two guys. They don't even really have a running back that they use that often in the passing game. Carson's hip is all up in the air, and even when he's healthy, he's not like a receiving back type. Carlos Hyde, if he's the one playing, like we don't have to worry about it then. Penny's going to be out for a while. You don't have to worry about him for, you know, until at least midseason. And even then, he doesn't even play that often. DK is a monster in the end zone. 18 end zone targets last season. That was the most in the league by a good chunk. Like I, I think Galladay and Evans were at 14. He was at 18 end zone targets. So he can be that guy that scores 10 plus touchdowns with Russell Wilson. I would not be surprised. There were two big fears when DK came out of school. 
and it was one was his injuries because he had two pretty serious injuries when he was when he was uh, in college and the one was he fractured his neck so that was a big concern and that was his last year in college and then in uh, a couple years before that he broke his foot so a lot of people were worried can he stay healthy because he just didn't show that at Ole Miss but in his first season, he stayed perfectly healthy, as far as we know. So I think that kind of debunked that. And then the second one was his route tree. Everyone said he's just a go route runner. Like, that's what he is for a wide receiver. He's just going to go deep, and that's pretty much all he has. He's just a big dude that can run fast and go deep. And he proved that that is not true at all. No, he certainly looked dynamic, and I think that God, the Seahawks got such a steal for him to drop to the second round, the end of the second round. You saw that production. You saw that big playability. And, like, the dude is built like a tight end. Yeah, but he was able to be used all over the field. So he wasn't just that deep guy. And I think Russell Wilson and him are a perfect match together. They should get married. DK doesn't even have to be open for Wilson to be like, you know what, you're going to make this catch. I'm just going to throw it up to you. Because you're a monster of a man, and you're going to catch the ball. And he does. Yep. He's, so, he's that's a That's my league winner. Now, DK's not, like, cheap. But he's a lot He's a lot cheaper than someone like A.J. Brown. Yes. Which I think they have the same ceiling. And I think maybe DK have a, has a safer floor from week to week. A.J. Brown's offense, for some reason, they're both in very low passing attempt offenses. But A.J. Brown just really disappears a lot more, and I think that has to do with Derrick Henry just taking over games. And you're never really going to have that with Seattle's rushing game. True, true. Especially with the the question marks they've had. I want to get into my league winner. Uh, I told you I'd be talking about this guy later. I feel like this has been the Raheem Mostert podcast. It is. Um, I'm changing the name. I'm going to submit the new name to iTunes later today. So I'll say, I know you love Mostert. I'm a little bit more on the fence. I don't love him or hate him. I'm just like, I don't know what to expect in 2020. I need you to talk me into him right here. Talk me into him. Why is he my league winner? So he is your league winner, A, A because of price. He's going as a RB28. He's still pretty pricey. I mean, he's going I, but fifth round. He has shown... Uh, not anymore. Not anymore. I, I would love to see ADP just within the the last week since that news broke for Raheem Mostert. This is the opportunity that I'm taking to buy him dynasty leagues. But what about redraft? Like we're talking about redraft here. Yeah. No, so no, no. by the time we get to redraft season, we're going to know if he got traded or not, and he's going to be back to that fifth round pick if he's with San Fran. If he gets traded, this does not apply. And the only I, I believe in the talent. Uh, but if he gets traded, I just don't see there to be any opportunity unless there is a team that has a an injury to their lead back. I just don't see there there to be a great opportunity there. But Raheem Mostert, you're looking at a guy who had nearly a thousand scrimmage yards and ten touchdowns on just 151 total touches. The dude led the team to the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, he did, and. I feel like people are just discounting that. The dude wants one and a half more million dollars, and you know what? He led him to the Super Bowl. I feel like there's just no excuse not to give him that money. Uh, Raheem Mostert, he actually led all running backs with at least 25% of snaps in yards per carry last season with 5.64. He was strictly the most productive asset on that team. We saw Tevin Coleman be brought in specifically for the use of of being that Shanahan back because they do they have that relationship there 
But the issue is we just didn't actually see him be able to to produce with his carry. So Raheem Mostert, nearly 1,000 yards on that number of touches, uh, 10 touchdowns. We see Tevin Coleman with 724 scrimmage yards, 7 touchdowns, nearly the same number of total touches on the season. I just don't see how we're we're going to be able to to compare these two. Even people want to point to usage. They used Tevin Coleman more in the end zone. But guess what? Raheem Mostert actually com- converted more of those touches in the end zone into touchdowns. He was more efficient. I don't know what to tell you guys. Look at the numbers. And he's saying he bulked up this year to take on more workload because he's a smaller back. Like He was only like 203 pounds. He was really tiny. But if he did bulk up and he can get up to 210 this offseason, I think that'd be really good for him. I am not against Mostert. I just, I'm worried because Kyle Shanahan is so crazy and he will plug in anybody. No. Okay. So that that's the issue is that people say Kyle Han- Shanahan, uh, running back by committee, blah, blah, blah. So initially Kyle Shanahan went and, and got Jarek McKinnon to fill the role, right? That didn't work out. Then he goes out and seeks Tevin Coleman to get the role. That didn't work out either. The only player that has worked within that offense, truly, that he hasn't been necessarily sought out, but he's stepped up when given the workload, is Raheem Mostert. If Kyle he gets, Shanahan is trying to find his lead back. If he gets the touches, he's going to be great. Mostert's I, I, great with the ball in his hands. I, genu- like, I, I think that Kyle Shanahan in the last couple of years has been a uh, one of those assets, uh, one of those coaches that is willing to rotate through a committee because he hasn't had that true lead guy. We saw him commit to Devonta Freeman. He had over 300 touches one season. Like, And what's nice about Moster is he doesn't need 300 touches. Like, that's not what we're predicting. But if he gets over 200 touches, if he even gets close to 250, he would be, like you're saying, a league winner. I think if he just gets over that 200, he's going to be a solid value in that fifth round pick. So uh, I can see your point. I'm just a little bit more nervous than you are. But, you know... You're good at calling these things, so maybe I'll trust you and I'll take them in a, in a league. PFF, they they have uh, San Fran's run game, uh, run blocking unit ranked as the fourth best. Anybody could work behind that line, but Tevin Coleman didn't. Yeah, Tevin Coleman is an inter- interesting character because in Atlanta, you know, he was drafted to take over after Steven Jackson left Atlanta. Devonta Freeman was already there. He was drafted in the fourth round before that. So when Atlanta came back and drafted Tevin Coleman, once Steven Jackson retired because Devonta Freeman wasn't used in his rookie season, everyone thought Tevin Coleman was going to get all of the workload. He's the next guy up. And it went to Freeman because Coleman didn't show he could be that type of back. Coleman's never really showed he could be a good back in this league. I don't know why we're all so like confused by that. No, and you know, even when it comes to the fact that, you know, Tevin Coleman is is notably the better receiver, they weren't even using him in the no. receiving game last in the second half of the season. You actually saw Raheem Mostert with more targets and receptions than Tevin Coleman. Boom. Well, he was hurt, but yeah, Tevin Coleman isn't good. I think we can both agree with that. He had a four touchdown game that helps his his stat line a little bit, but Raheem Mostert was clearly the better. stat line a lot. He only had seven total touches. I would hope that coaches are smart enough because he was clearly the better player. He made the offense better and just come on, just play. The biggest, I feel like the biggest skepticism lies with the fact that Raheem Mostert doesn't have draft capital. That's, that's it. He's an undrafted free agent, but 
I think the thing to notice, you know, it's it's his fifth season, right? Like, why are we suddenly going to start believing in him? He became productive when he started working with Kyle Shanahan. I think it's okay to also start believing in a guy that's never got the work before, and now this will be the first time that he's going to get a full workload if he does. What you don't want to believe in is a fifth-year guy that's had the full workload multiple times already. Like, like Tevin Coleman? <laughs> yeah. They show you who they are the first time they have their full workload. David Montgomery owners, like... Players show you who they are the first time they have that workload. That's it. All right, let's move on. There are, of course, a couple of outliers, so maybe David Montgomery will be it, but there's not a lot of outliers at all. It's all right. like <laughs> Melvin Gordon, who only had one great efficiency year um, throughout his whole career. That was that was the outlier to me, not his rookie season. And then uh, Le'Veon Bell, but he lost like 20 pounds to yep. get better. So those are the two outliers that people will come at me with, but that's pretty much it. All right, let's move to bust. So this is interesting because we actually came into the show doc and we each had a bust at the same position for the same team, different guys. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So (laughs) my first one is Christian Kirk with Arizona. Oh, I mean, his price isn't too high. He's the wide receiver 40. So people might say, how can he be a bust? But I think people are really excited to draft him later in the like eighth, ninth round. And they think he's going to be this flex player that's consistent. I don't see that at all. Like, I might let Christian Kirk go throughout like the whole draft and not draft him. That's how low I am on him. And it doesn't have to do with his talent. That's to do with there's too many targets in that offense. And Christian Kirk's average depth of target is way too low to be consistent in fantasy. So he was the second lowest out of any wide receiver with at least 90 targets in yards per reception. And that has to do with his average depth of target is just so low. So he was only better than Dee Westbrook in yards per reception. He was right below Jamison Crowder, Larry Fitzgerald, Danny Amendola, Julian Edelman, and then you can keep going up and there are guys like Hopkins and Allen and Michael Thomas and Tyler Boyd. So you might say, well, there's some guys that have low yards per reception and are great for fantasy, but those players had 142 targets, 180, 150. They're all around that 150 mark or higher. That's what you're going to need from Christian Kirk to be a great fantasy asset. And he's not getting 150 targets with DeAndre Hopkins there. Now, if Hopkins goes down, maybe he can get up to those targets, but I don't think there's a world where Christian Kirk sees 150 targets or even close. And without that, he's not going to be good for fantasy. Now, does he even get to 100? He had 99 targets last year. Does he get to that 100? Does he really increase with Hopkins in town? With Larry Fitzgerald still there somehow? With Kenyon Drake still a running back that can be used in the passing game? I don't see a world where his targets increase. And if they do, it's by a handful I'm staying away from him. I think he's going to be very lackluster. He's going to be a player that you can throw into your lineup, and he might get you five points. But that's about it. Yeah. Maybe he can score a touchdown to get you over that 10 mark once in a while. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty, and I think he's going to hurt you way more than he ever helps you. I I am totally out on any receiving option in Arizona, FYI. As we can demonstrate by the fact that my bust from the NFC West is none other than my favorite wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins. We're being so mean in Arizona. We actually really like them as an offense and as a team, but I think all of them together just hurt each other in terms of fantasy, not for the team. So if you're an Arizona Cardinals team, don't hear what we're not saying. We think there will be a good offense. It's just there's too many 
targets, and I think they all hurt each other. Yeah, so like when when we're looking at a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, first of all, let's let's just acknowledge the fact that he is the best wide receiver in the league, at least in my opinion. I, I genuinely believe that. But that doesn't mean that it is going to translate to fantasy, particularly in his first year within a new offense, with an altered offseason. Totally different uh, you know, system. We've got Cliff Kingsbury. He's got the air raid offense. The goal in that offense is to, to air it out and to get to the open man, right? It's not going to be DeAndre Hopkins 100% of the time. You're not going to force feed DeAndre Hopkins just because he's DeAndre Hopkins. In the Texas offense, DeAndre Hopkins has averaged 160 targets per year. 160. Yeah. That is insane. And there is literally no place on earth where I could project DeAndre Hopkins to come even close to that. I gave him, in my projections, 140 targets, and that was generous for me. And he's going to need to keep those targets targets up because like I was just bringing up with yards per reception, Hopkins was one of the lowest as well at 11.2, and that was with Deshaun Watson. And now I named Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk as the bottom five in the league in yards per reception for any wide receiver with more than 90 targets. So we know that Kyler Murray, you know, his average depth of target is pretty low, and these guys are not getting a ton of receptions or a ton of yards per reception. So we should not expect DeAndre Hopkins' yards per reception to go up next year. So we need his targets to stay the same. We need his completion percentage to stay the same. And we need his touchdowns to stay the same. And I don't know. I really like Kyler Murray. I don't know if he can provide that same baseline for Hopkins that Watson could. And And it's their first year together. And they haven't had an offseason. Like, how pretty is this going to look? He was... The wide receiver five last year. He ended a wide receiver five in, in fantasy points. He's going as a wide receiver three still. No, thank you. Yeah, and I, I think if his targets go down even a little bit, he's going to really disappoint you. At that wide receiver three price, like, I'm staying really far away. You're not getting a discount from him for how risky he is. No, you're you're drafting him as the wide receiver three in hopes that he finishes as the wide receiver three. There's no... Yeah. Or even top five, and I think that's still going to be hard to do in this offense. Yeah. The first year. Absolutely. I mean, when you look at Deshaun Watson and, like, who he's been most efficient with, obviously, uh, the Rotoviz tools actually have a really nice efficiency metric available on their website. Will Fuller has been the most efficient wide receiver in adjusted yards per passing attempt per receiver. Uh, Then, Kenny Stills. Second most efficient wide receiver for DeAndre Hopkins or for Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins was third, and I like. I think it has to do with coverage and defenders are all over him. Absolutely, but that that still applies in Arizona. Yeah, and I I just they're not going to force feed him in my opinion. He needs more targets than I think he's going to get in games where DeAndre Hopkins had fewer uh, eight or fewer uh, targets. He averaged twelve PPR points per game. How often do you think he's going to exceed eight targets per game? Probably not often. Not often. And the split there, so 12.8 uh, points per game in, in those games with eight or fewer targets. 21 points per game in, in games where he's had more than eight targets. So it just depends. Like, I know more targets, more opportunity, more PPR points, but... Hopkins is definitely a volume guy. He's a volume guy. Don't, like, it doesn't discount the fact that he is 
the best wide receiver in the league. It's just he's a volume guy. I think he's going to need more of that. And the style of offense just doesn't play to that. I'm I'm out on DeAndre Hopkins at this price. Same. Now let's get into our sleepers for the NFC West. Michelle, you might be ruffling some feathers with this one. Well, I mean, this is it's a sleeper, right? I'm not saying he's going to take over the world and be great, <laughs> but he's a sleeper, and I'm going with Daryl Henderson from the Rams. I know they drafted Cam Akers in the second, and clearly he's going to be the main guy. Like That's what everyone says. Like He's the clear-cut main guy. That couldn't be further from the truth. I don't think we know who that is yet until they get into training camp and they battle it out. And I really do think this backfield's going to be running back by committee. McVay said that's what he wanted before the draft, so he drafted another guy to be in a running back by committee with Henderson. I don't think anyone thinks that Malcolm Brown can be a 150-touch guy, He's not really a player you want in that running back by committee. So now they have Henderson and Akers. Now, I know they spent a second-round pick on Akers, but last year they spent two-thirds on Henderson. They moved all the way up from the 94th pick to the 70th, traded away one of their thirds, traded away the second third to move up, right? So they used two-thirds to draft Henderson. I just want to remind everyone of that. It's not that crazy difference in draft capital. And then Henderson was a top prospect just one offseason ago. We're so short-minded that all of a sudden... He was a former... Like, he was going at the 106 in in Dynasty rookie drafts, guys. And we throw out the towel this quickly? Because he didn't get this shot. I I mean, I guess. But like I was saying, last year, people will say, well, Malcolm Brown got more touches than him, which is true. It's concerning to see how little Henderson was used. Clearly, there was something going wrong. Whether it be with the playbook or him not being able to pick up pass protection, we don't know what that is. But let's hope in his second season he can get better in that area. When he had the ball in his hands, he was really great. He doesn't have a whole lot of plays, but the plays that you go look at, he was creating yards. So explosive. That line was bad, and he was creating his own yards. He was great. In college, he excelled in yards after contact and forcing missed tackles. And then in the NFL, he again excelled in both of those areas. Those are two sticky areas that if they do well in college, they normally do well in the NFL. He ranked seventh in yards after contact per attempt and eighth in missed tackles per attempt just last year in the NFL. Now, he had a small sample size, so it's a little bit harder to ensure that he's really great in both of those areas. But I like what we saw so far. He was his best self on first and 10, averaging 5.4 yards per carry on first and 10. He was his worst self on third and fourth and short. That's not really going to be his game. He's a smaller back. I think that's where Akers will really come in and excel. He's a little bit stronger, a little bit bigger. Uh, So he might steal those goal line carries. But Henderson's very explosive where he can score from pretty far out. Like he's going to have those big chunk plays. Uh, You know, they compared Henderson to Alvin Kamara when they drafted him last year. If they want to use Akers in that way, Akers can be the Ingram to Henderson's Kamara. They can both be decent. I think Henderson's going to be the more efficient back uh, and have those big, more more explosive plays while Akers kind of chucks away at those yards. Yeah, if you're banking for touchdowns, I think it's going to be Cam Akers, but... But they're going like seven rounds apart. Yeah, that that's exactly the point. So, so if we think this is going to be running back by committee and they're both going to touch the ball, give me that explosive back that doesn't need as many touches to yeah, he produce. He doesn't need touches at the goal line to necessarily get the touchdowns because yeah. he could he could definitely create that on his own. He's a better receiving back too. Yeah, so I I, I definitely understand that. I, I like the value there too because if there were to be an injury for Cam Akers 
and Henderson was able to take on more touches. I don't think you'd get the full backfield. I think you'd see Malcolm Brown rotate in there. But if you actually fed him the touches, I think he would be uh, a very productive back, especially for PPR leagues. Yep. And... You know, there was a quote from McVay just recently in a video conference. He said with Daryl, he he was a guy that when you do a lot of work on him coming out of Memphis, you love everything about his game. Complete player, a home run hitter, but you saw in some of the runs that he got last year where he's a finisher too. I mean, he's an elusive back, but he's got some power and he's got some thickness that can allow him to really have some great contact balance and finish. He said he wouldn't shoulder the burden alone, but he's going to get a chance to show what he's got. Love it. Yes, and I think this offseason, this training camp, they're going to be battling out to see who's the true lead back. And there's no one in the world that knows who's winning, yet, except maybe the coaching staff that's seen them in these Zoom meetings, maybe once working harder on the books. But we're all just guessing at this point. So I'm going, I'm going with a player that's going seven rounds later. Yeah, take that discount. I, for my sleeper, I'm actually sort of tilting away from my normal – my normal playing strategy. So I'm going to go with Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver, drafted to the 49ers in the first round this year. I tend to hate rookie wide receivers, especially in an altered off-season program where they're not getting that that typical uh, that typical time, you know, with their quarterback, develop rapport, work with the playbook in the same way. But Brandon Ayuk, I think he's got a lot of these these rare traits that actually translate very quickly to the NFL. He's already a fantastic route runner. And that's something that, you know, a lot of wide receivers need to work on when they enter the NFL. He's very well-rounded. He actually is is very good after the catch. So in that 2019 college football season, we actually saw Brandon Ayuk have the eighth most yards from screen passes, uh, the 19th most screen receptions, that allows him to do all of the work after the catch and do what is innate to him as a route runner, as an explosive player. They they don't usually, you know, chuck the ball down the field. That's not Jimmy G's game. He he throws short, and a lot of that ability comes from the fact that plays are made after the catch. That works absolutely perfect, especially for a guy who, you know, I, I think I'd be a lot wor- more worried about him if his game would be to be targeted far down the field. And you have to build that connection. Screen passes are a little bit easier to work that out on. I, I'm excited to see what he can do there just in, in his talent as a player. But also, let's look at the opportunity. You have De- Debo Samuel coming up with a Jones fracture, just had that surgically repaired. We don't really know what his his rehab is going to look like. We don't know when he's going to be ready. And a lot of times when you have this Jones fracture, it takes time to heal, even when you're ready to play. Like, you're just not as explosive. And a lot of times you need a second surgery to really repair it. Like, it, Julio Jones really struggled after his Jones fracture. A lot of players do. So I, I think Brandon IU could be the clear-cut wide receiver one on this team in his rookie season if he there's can just, perform. There, there's just not a lot of other competition. Yeah. And I think that... Out of all offenses that we're looking at, I think that their offense is most friendly to uh, the player whose ability is so great after the catch. Mm-hmm. That's um, why Debo was usable last year, because his average depth of target was so low. 
but yeah, his yards after his yards after catch were great. And I think IU can be used in that same way. Now he is still a really good, great deep threat. So if Jimmy G can figure out how to hit someone deep, that'd be fantastic. If and he could ever figure that out. If he could figure that out. But I like Brandon Ayuk, too. I think that's a really good sleeper there. You want to move on to our disrespected? Disrespect. So, Jared Goff is disrespected this offseason. Because he was pretty bad last year. So, I understand why he's, why he's being disrespected. So, in 2018, he was a quarterback 7. Quarterback 9 in fantasy points per game. He did struggle last season for sure. That whole offense did. That line was terrible. They just weren't putting it together. But then, after their bye, once they changed some things up, they started using more 12 personnel, having two tight ends on the field at the same time, and that really helped Jared Goff. Now, maybe the blocking was there better for him with two tight ends on the field. He had his boy Higby that he trusted. Yeah. Goff was so much better in that new scheme or whatever new offense that they were doing at the end of the season. I mean, the whole offense looked completely yeah, different. The whole offense was much better from weeks 13 through 17. So five games, not massive sample size, but still about a third of the season. Goff was on pace for 5,200 yards and 35 touchdowns. Very unrealistic numbers. Not saying that's going to happen for Goff, but he really came on fire at the end of the year. He was a quarterback six in fantasy points during that time frame. He's currently going as the quarterback 18. That's really late. That's really good round, late round value. value. And I think he's being disrespected too much. Now, I don't want him in my top 10 quarterbacks either because he's not that mobile quarterback. And I really, if I'm going to draft a quarterback earlier, I want that mobility for those rushing yards and that, that baseline. They're just safer. But if I'm punting on my quarterback and I want to wait deep into those double-digit rounds, Jared Goff is a perfect option there, I believe. And, you know, he, he is losing Brandon Cooks, but I think Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Tyler Higby and Akers and Henderson are plenty enough options for Jared Goff. That defense got a little bit worse last year. We'll see if Ramsey can hold that defense together, but I don't think their defense is going to be like dominant where Jared Goff doesn't have to throw a ton. I'm excited for Goff this year. I think the whole Rams offense will be much better. Yeah, I think that I'm I'm interested to see, and you know what, I think the difference too is that in the, the, the range that you see Jared Goff being drafted at, I don't see a lot of those other guys around him having the same sort of upside inside the top 10 that Jared Goff could have if things go right. Yeah, he's going around players like Teddy Bridgewater and Jimmy Garoppolo. They don't have that same ceiling that Goff has in fantasy. No. Uh, for my disrespected man, I'm going with old man Greg Olson. <laughs> I, I think, you know, I, I don't expect Greg Olson to blow it out of the water, but the great thing about the tight end position is you don't need to blow it out of the water to rank top 12, yeah. right? So you see him go to the Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson, who does love to utilize the tight end, despite the fact that they had no tight end last week. Like, no tight end. They had Will Disley for 30, 40 seconds. Um, Despite the fact that they had no real option to target, they actually had 20.8% of their targets going to the tight end position. They, they forced those targets. That Russell Wilson definitely likes his tight end. Yes, he does. And I, I think that Greg Olson is the perfect kind of guy that, that you can utilize in the red zone, which is part of why I actually am a little bit nervous about DK Metcalf because I think that Greg Olson's going to be able to provide Russell Wilson one of those 
end zone targets that, that might steal a little bit of that work from DK Metcalf. Last year, uh, among tight ends, he ranked 11th in receiving yards, somehow had more yards after the catch per reception than Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, Hunter Henry, Mike Gusecki. I Like, that's interesting, right? That is. He's Are old. we sure that's right? Yes. Okay. He is old. Um, he had the six most red zone targets, 14th round ADP this year per pro football calculator. He's drafted as the tight end 22. I would bet our house that he finishes ahead of the tight end 22. Okay, don't do that. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the, the thing with Greg Olson is, does he stay healthy? Because he hasn't been able to the last couple of seasons. He is an old man. But if he's on the field and Will Disley is struggling to come back from that Achilles injury, because I do think Will Disley is the much better tight end at this point in their career. But Will Receiving Disley, tight end. Greg Olson is being drafted behind Will Disley, who is coming back from a torn Achilles. Yeah. Come on. And he, when he's, I mean, we haven't been able to see him healthy either. Oh, like, no. Will Disley stays healthy for about three games and then is out uh, his first two seasons in the NFL. I'm not saying that Greg Olson is going to be a, a an upside guy, but I think he's going to be a safe enough tight end that we can reasonably project him to finish top 12. Uh, and it's it's very feasible because that it, it doesn't take much to finish in the top 12 for tight ends in this landscape. And you know the tight end on this team is going to be targeted in the end zone, and that's going to be Olsen, I think, yeah, I believe. I, I absolutely agree. I Let's, like this pick because I prefer to punt the quarterback in tight end position in one tight end, one quarterback leagues, and I think Greg Olsen and Jared Goff would be good assets for your fantasy team if you're you're waiting forever to take either position and you could just stock up on those running backs and wide receivers. Oh, yeah. You take the, the top tier of everything else. I... And, like, let's be honest, outside of the top, if you're not going to take George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, Travis Kelsey, Tyler, you're punting. Yeah, you're punting the position. Why not do it with Greg Olson, who is a vet? Usually I've been out on Greg Olson, like, pretty much every season, but... This is the season where his price has dropped low enough for me to be like, all right. His price is nothing. I don't even know if you really have to draft him in redraft. He might just go undrafted. But maybe you could take him in the last round. Maybe he's your second tight end. And not everyone drafts a second tight end, but I don't think Greg Olson's a bad way to go to draft that second tight end. See how much he's used in that offense. Because, like we brought up, Wilson really loves his tight ends. No matter who went down last year, the next man up got targets. Yep. Like Russell Wilson wanted that tight end. I think that's why they went out and signed a Greg Olson type, to have someone more stable there for Wilson. I'm excited for him this year. I'm excited for this whole division. I think it's going to be a tight race. I think there's a ton of great fantasy assets in it. They should be really fun games to watch. Um, is yeah. there anything else we want to bring up? No. Uh, everybody, we will sign off for today, but please be sure to check out our new website, ballblastfootball.com. Check out the Red Shirts Dynasty podcast, our new our new teammates there at Ball Blast and all the work they're going to be doing for us. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Follow our podcast Instagram, BallBlastFB. Follow me on Twitter at BallBlastEm, BallBlastEm. And I'm Kate at FFBallBlast. Bye, y'all. Bye.